And the one thing that I remember about working with horses when people would sometimes watch and ask me questions was, are the black squirrels normal? Welcome to If I Were King, the podcast where two friends somewhere on earth talk about the new world order and other things, including, but not limited to, the lizard people. Yeah, no, not enough suffering yet, so <laughs> I'll just have to keep going and make sure that I find some. How about you? I just had a great uh, weekend, long weekend. Yeah, what'd you do? I went to Vancouver Island, we call it just the island, uh, to, to Comax Valley to visit some friends, and it was awesome, because you know, you gotta, you gotta take a ferry to get there, and I love fairies, Paul. Um, and I got to hang out with a dog all weekend, which was great. Yeah, yeah. Did the fairies uh, cast some magical spells on you and shit? They did catch ma- cast magical spells, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Enchantment with the, the landscape or the oceanscape? I, do, why do you read my notes, Paul? Why do you read No, no, my I notes? didn't. I didn't this time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> So, so tell me about what it what it really says there, Norman. Let's compare. Well, Paul, Paul. Uh, so the best part about the trip, well, other than seeing my friends and the dog, uh, dog is named Hudson, is that uh, I get to travel by ferry, which is my favorite form of transportation, Paul. Um, and it inspired me while I was on the ferry when I was in my bliss, uh, <laughs> in your surrounded bliss. by the ocean, uh, the mountains, sunshine, um, whales. Um, uh, I, I came, an epiphany came to me and, uh, if I were king of the world, I'd make traveling by water a greater part of daily life for all of my citizens, Paul. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the context of that, like I just said, is I just had a weekend getaway, uh, to Vancouver Island and, and on the ferry, um, it was actually like on the way there, it was very gray and gross and usual west coast weather um but as soon as we like hit the open water we saw some humpback whales which was dope uh i managed to get a little bit of a photo of one uh i guess i can show you um and uh, if you're not seeing this i'll throw it on screen but um it was awesome you rarely ever get to see any whales at all uh and after we saw those whales we saw some orcas not long after so we were we were really in a treat you were having a treat, Tall. It was great. Yeah. Uh, I love the ferry. I always uh, I always go on deck, like the outside deck, even if it's cold. <laughs> and um, I just spend the whole time there because I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But but my point is that after this, it made me you know realize that I think everyone could do with a little bit more bliss, bliss and peace in their life, you know? So, and if... And if you had to have water travel as part of your daily lives much more frequently than we do now, um, I think all my citizens would be more happy, Paul. Because traveling by water, you need to slow down um, and, you know, just take it in. You're at the mercy or the or at the favors of nature. I, I love it, Paul. Um, have you ever been, uh, have you traveled much by water? Uh, no. <laughs> as a desert dweller? Not really. (laughs) I was, my next, or my question, my next question was going to be, how do we, how do we make sure that it's a requirement that everybody, you know, travels by water, including us desert dwellers, 
Do you mass mobilize people and forcefully <laughs> migrate people? <laughs> or what's what's your solution, Norman? <laughs> I want to hear it. No, I don't have a solution to that, Paul. Um, you just, if you're in a desert, you're in a desert, you know? Um, the, the water is special it, because it is where it is, which is on the water. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not by it, you're just going to have to find your nearest oasis or river. Um, because did you know, I, I recently read on the internet um, that there was a study, so... Who knows how reliable that is. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, just being by the water uh, makes humans happier. And that's why I think water travel is just a very human thing to do. I think it's, we've been doing it for thousands of years. We've, you know, we've lived by it. We've died by it. Um, It was the greatest adventure any human could have, you know, before flying. And it probably still is. Like, it really puts you to scale uh, when you're in the middle of the water and it's just you and your boat you know <laughs> yeah, yeah so what i want to do to kind of like make this more possible is um i would reduce the number of bridges and i would just <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would reduce the number of bridges and um <laughs> I find multiple things amusing about that. Well, for one, because in Albuquerque, the little bit of water that we do have is there's a river called the Rio Grande, but that crosses through the city. And it's a horrible factor for traffic because there are, I don't know, a limited number of bridges, let's say, uh, very limited And part of the reason why is because there's a Native American tribe that has a lot of land kind of in the middle area, not in the middle of the city, but on one border of the city. And a lot of people live on the other side. And so they won't permit you to build a bridge on their land, but they have a like long section of land that's long enough that you could probably build where it would be helpful to build probably three bridges on their land in order to reduce traffic, but you can't. So we just have not enough bridges for people to cross the river and it's just a shit show. A, but B, really what was funny is I was picturing people having to uh, get onto a barge to cross the river in order to to circumnavigate your issue or your idea here. And it was just hilarious and very uh, archaic in my mind, picturing that. Well, no. You know what? I'm 100% with your um, Native American friends over there. Goddamn doing the world a service. Less roads and bridges in the United States. I don't think you need any more. Yeah. Yeah. We are destroying the planet as quickly as possible, Norman. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm glad you found that so amusing and so... um... It hits so close to home. But yeah, no, I would reduce the number of bridges, Paul. And I would also, in tandem, increase the amount of, like, little ferry services. I don't care how much it would cost the state. I will pay anything for my citizens to be happy, Paul. (laughs) You'll pay anything. (laughs) You get rid of all the bridges and pay for ferries. (laughs) 
I don't know why this topic really is funny to me. Uh, <laughs> I think because it's so difficult to realize this dream of yours. <laughs> no, Paul, it's easy to break a bridge, you know? You just, have to make, you just need to break bridges a little so they're not useful. Uh, <laughs> I think, though, the real issue is the social aspect inside of it, which is that people would be revolting and rebelling in the streets within, like, five minutes when all the bridges are gone. You don't understand. So first, so first, the caveat is there will be some bridges left in place, you know, for transporting goods and services and, you know, whatever traffic that can fit. So it'll probably be limited to, like, mass transit, you know, transport, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, there are some bridges, like, if you need, like, if it's an island, you need a bridge to get there kind of thing. Um, but, yeah. Well, so I, I, but also I disagree hard with your fast saying that you, it would cause um, everyone to rage. Maybe at the beginning. But, you know, what? that's what dictators are for. Uh, people don't be talking back. <laughs> How I see the economic benefits would would be great because communities wouldn't become so centralized. Cities wouldn't just become a downtown. You wouldn't need those like suburb cities. You know, each suburb kind of area unit around a city will become its own city, and new centers will pop up, and people will live close to the home. People will, you know, won't tr commute for an hour, two hours, three hours just to get to work because those job centers will move around and a more even you know, distribution. There won't just be a downtown where there's such a huge number of jobs that people have to go to. It'll spread out. So people will have more diverse neighborhoods. Business will pop up. Businesses will pop up in different neighborhoods close to where people live, work, and play, Paul. And therefore, everyone benefits from less bridges, okay? <laughs> so kind of the theory is that if you cut off transportation routes and force people to live closer to everything... It leads to better urban planning. Yes, Paul. This is this is my dream. Better urban planning. It's a very European dream, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, that's a Eurocentric view. There's so many places that have great urban planning. I like it. I mean, or you could it? just make people swim across rivers and shit too. You, you, know? you know what? So I have seen I have seen these stories about some people like uh, I think it was in Germany, like a couple towns in Germany where there was like some people who would just like throw all their work stuff, their office stuff into like a waterproof case kind of thing. Like one of those things that float and they tie it around and they just like, during the summers they'll like swim across the river and stuff like that just to like go from home to work. <laughs> um, so there's, there are a few instances of people actually doing this. That's a very hippie thing. <laughs> Dude, I, that, that guy just sounds like he's a king, all right? He gets up in the morning and goes for a swim in nature. He has to use his raw human muscle just to to go places. You know how refreshing that must be? First thing in the morning during the summer, a dip in the river, Ooh, you show up to work, you're you're just that boss dog who just swam to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was, um, and there's also a few instances, in, when I was living in Prince Rupert, there used to be a guy that uh, he kayaked to work every day. Like he, like, he lived on the other shit. side of town, he would just, and he would just throw stuff in the back of the kayak, jump in, swim, go around to the harbor, and just get off. That guy's definitely a king, man. Shit, yeah, that's yeah. cool. And uh, there was also I know about this this professor who lives who was who worked I think at like the University of Nanaimo, uh, which is a city on Vancouver Island. 
he he also like lived on this small island off the off the like across from the city, and he would also just kayak into the city and to go to work and stuff. So there's there are examples of people doing this, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> people, people would start kayaking. Oh, Paul! Like, of course, this doesn't work on every river. You know, like if it's too fast, it's too fast. I get it. Um, and that's what the uh, state-sponsored goodies about the um, ferries and whatnot. You know. Oh yeah. Well, I I was thinking you could also sponsor lifeguards and just post them where bridges used to be. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think that'll be unnecessary. Like swim, bitches. <laughs> Uh, the state removed this bridge, so you better start swimming if you want to get across. <laughs> I like it. Right, Paul? I like it. Yeah, so, you know, and you know what? Fitness will go over the, over the roof, bro. Every citizen will be, so many citizens will have, like, athletic hearts, man. Heart disease, yeah. way down. Life expectancy, ex- expectancy, up. Satisfied lifestyle, up, you know? Yeah. Paul. I think Dude. I think the solution to a lot of pr- problems is just breaking down a few bridges. Yeah, yeah. It, it's who, a, who said you need to build bridges to to make a better world? I break them down. You, yeah, you break them down and post lifeguards and ferries there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. Too bad the ferries can't just grant your wish to get across, though. Paul, you know, let me talk about let me talk about traveling by uh, by water, you know, um, yeah. because since you're a you're a desert uh, goon, I don't know, <laughs> goon, <laughs> goon? You're a desert goon, yeah, <laughs> and you don't understand the tra- the special the special place that uh, traveling by water has for me, uh, it's great. So I've also um, I had a couple of summers where I uh, did some sailing, like in a sailboat, like for two people kind of thing, in an FJ a Flying Junior. And so I really, really like being on the water, Paul. Um, it's uh, being on the water for like, for like as a human. It's I think it's very, it's very real and uh, it's very raw. Kind of like what I was saying, you know. It's kind of, it's kind of a this this natural human movement, like physically and like migrationally, you know. As long as there's been humans, there have been, you know, somebody out at the water trying to go somewhere, trying to catch something, trying to move one thing to another place, you know. Uh, on boats, you have to go really slow. <laughs> you know, uh, it's only in the recent years where we've had really, really fast boats over the last what hundred or two hundred years. For then, it was the winds, or you had to row. <laughs> it has it has an effect of really slowing down time, if you will. Like you know, when you're having a good time and then time flies by so fast, you can be on a boat having a good time, and it the time lasts. The time keeps going. You know, it doesn't uh, fly by. Even if you're having a great time, because I don't know something about the water ball. It's great. Um, it can also be the opposite, as in like it can also just be the worst thing ever. Being out in the ocean in the middle of a storm, especially back in the day, you're on a wooden boat. That is that is how you get the fear of something of a greater greater power. That's no no king can come close to the fear that a sto- being trapped in the middle of a storm can bring. The ocean's uh, pretty deadly. Pretty deadly. So Paul, right. when you when you visit here, we're gonna we're gonna hit up BC ferries one hundred percent because they're awesome. Yeah, no, I like it. I've been on the water a bit. I just not here mostly, but uh, I've kayaked here. Not kayak, uh, canoe, canoe. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. And ferry trips are special. And I got to see so many whales this time, Paul. It was ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's pretty baller, man. 
Yeah, dude, it was awesome. I've never seen whales. I would love to see whales. And orcas, that would be really interesting. Oh, they dude, they are a cool animal. They yeah. are awesome. So, Paul, that's that's uh, that's what I would change this week is uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd make it traveling by water more uh, more common in daily life, uh, you know, whether I would, I'll starting by breaking down bridges, but also just uh, making it accessible to go by water, no matter the price. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Norman, I want you to guess who this gentleman is. I, I don't know if you know him. Vermin Supreme. Have you heard that name before? Never heard that name. Never heard that name once, Paul. Guess who that would, you know, be. Vermin Supreme. Vermin Supreme. Uh, it sounds like a wrestler. A rest. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Vermin Supreme. Yeah, it, that would be a good wrestler name, quite actually. No, he's he's a politician. <laughs> or he's. Oh, his name is Vermin or Vernon. Vermin. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you can consider him a politician. I don't know if he's won a campaign, but we'll go over it. Since at least 2004, there's this guy, Vermin Supreme, who has yeah. ran for president and also for Senate and, you know, okay. a representative. I'm not <laughs> sure if representative, but Senate for sure. Several times, many times. And this is, this is, uh, you said this is a New Mexico guy? No, no. He's out in New Hampshire somewhere, somewhere oh, northeast okay, anywhere. Okay. Now, he's run many times, never won. He's an American political satirist who he runs for president basically each electoral year. And he's known for wearing a boot on his head, uh, the toes <laughs> of the boot face forward. So it's like this. Okay. And he uh, campaigns on the promise of a pony powered economy and buying. Oh, yeah buying everyone in america a pony he has a yes. long white beard and he looks more or less like a hillbilly okay great you know one of his quotes that he said was we can afford these wars this that and the other thing why not ponies why not ponies yeah I, is this yeah. guy this guy this we need to get this guy on the show yeah we need to get him in canada too let's <laughs> let's have him run for stuff all over the world i, I think it'd be fun so he's come third or and fourth on respective occasions in the new hampshire primary okay like three out of three and four out of four yeah third and fourth place in different years you know the primaries in the u.s oh they? yeah the whole world knows about it don't worry okay yeah anyway uh suddenly when, when the, the primary is on american news is everybody's news. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> we don't like it. Y'all don't need to watch this shit. But yeah, it's it's also like shitty that it's news in other countries because then you guys get politics twice. Like twice as much political campaign shit that you're watching, which is not pleasant. Yeah, Paul, it's, uh, it's great. No, we love it. We love it so much. Yeah, I would. I would. I just <laughs> I I would love it if I could watch another country's their their BS as well. That would be just lovely. Lovely. Well, uh Vermin Supreme, he 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 now represents the Libertarian Party. Dude, this guy wants to liberate everybody of the chains of their car and replace it with a horse. Yeah, dude. I agree. Let's all ride It's kind of it's really quite on the theme of your if I were king in that 
It's about destroying the transportation infrastructure vehicles and replacing them with something better and more peaceful and more connected to nature. And we, we, me and uh, Vernon, we're very similar dictators, except the difference in our election campaigns, if we were actually running for election, which we would not be, but if we were, would be mine is green and his is not. Zero emissions on the water, wind power only, or we're going by rope. <laughs> are the the horses are more emissions is that your idea oh 100 percent, 100 percent. what about the fairies no it would be it would be uh you know cable fairies like they just they run on an electric motor but they they're just guided by ca um cable and it just goes like yeah but how'd you produce the electricity with water hydropower <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, the water <laughs> and and you know there and you know there's some um, there's some fairies. Uh, uh, I saw this on a Scott Tom Scott video where um, there's a few fairies around. If if the river has a fast enough flow, um, you can just literally set up a rope, attach a boat to it, and you just like turn the rudder, and the flow of the water will make the boat go sideways, either which way, because it's giving enough like 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 lift kind of thing like if you're thinking of it as, as an airplane wing so there, there are some zero um, like 100 you can have 100 percent like quote-unquote clean uh boat travel but that in very specific circumstances but that's not the point <laughs> yeah yeah i was like there's some caveats there <laughs> some important ones okay paul so if you if if you were king of the world is that what you change well so let me let me finish here so it, uh, he, what he's saying is really, and he, this is a quote from him, he offers to the Libertarian Party to, quote, troll America on a much larger scale. That was, <laughs> that's his intentions. That is my, that is, um, that is, he has my vote, Paul. He has my vote. Oh, isn't that excellent? Yeah. So other things he said, he plans to put the dental back in presidential. So he carries around large toothbrush, and his supporters do the same. And uh, he is planning on instituting mandatory toothbrushing laws. Uh, some other ideas he's had, zombie preparedness and promoting a zombie-powered economy. Man, this, this man is a forward thinker. Oh, yeah, dude. He's... This, guy, this guy is the most progressive guy in the United States, and you don't even know it. Yeah. He's a forward thinker. He's ahead of his time, Norman. It's got to be said. For example, time travel research. That's what he wants to promote. That's one of the things. Wow. Yeah, so he wants the free ponies, as I said. Uh, but, Norman, what I would do if I were king is immediately sign into law all of his demands. Uh, so, mandatory toothbrushing, zombie preparedness, time travel research, free ponies for everyone. And I thought about it, well, why not, while we're at it, make some other fun laws. Uh, with my dictatorial powers, I will declassify all Uf UFO documents of the U.S. government, <laughs> uh, officially declare war on any and all zombies, aliens, Bigfoots, Loch Ness, and or other monsters. And uh, some funny facts. Uh, back in 2016, which is when I first learned about vermin, actually during the primaries, I searched how many horses there were on the earth to see if he could actually give everyone a pony. 
how how close he could possibly come. How close, Paul? What, okay, okay. I've, I've, I want to. I want to know. I want to first know when was the peak horse population domesticated? Oh, yeah. Here, Google is saying uh, the U.S. Okay, this is the U. God damn it! Fucking always American sources everywhere. It's always <laughs> the U.S. Paul. <laughs> the U.S. Horse population hit its peak in 1920, and by 1930s, cars per capita surpassed horses. So the remaining horse population of 4 million is now approximately 85% smaller than its peak of 25 million. Okay. So in, in, the ni- in 1920, there were 25 million horses. In the U.S. In the, oh, yeah, in the U.S. God damn it. You had 106 million people <laughs> in 1920. Uh, so four times as much people almost. Let's assume that in 1920, 25 one in four people can have a horse, and that was like that was good enough for society to run. Right. Um, how many horses would we need today? It was actually a successful pony-powered <laughs> economy was possible with one quarter of the popula- the human population. Now, a days they're in total on the Earth estimated. Well, this is 2017 from. I'm going to give you the source because you've asked for sources before. So, uh, horse talk. <laughs> You're like a uh, fucking former journalist, this guy. Where'd you hear that? <laughs> Horsetalk.co.nz, Norman. A very reputable source. Oh, New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. I, horse... I'm sure they have some lovely horses in New Zealand. They, I think they know what they're talking about. Dude, Lord of the Rings was filmed there. Yeah, they definitely have good horses, I guarantee. <laughs> You'll see fucking shadow facts running through the fucking meadows. I think they've got good horses for sure in New Zealand. So, Norman, Horse Talk, very reputable source, said in 2017 that uh, there were a little over 60 million horses on the earth. Uh, that's the entire earth, mind you, not just the U.S., uh, that's hilariously about 270 million horses short of the total U.S. population. And <laughs> let me also take that a little bit further. In, <laughs> in reality, most horses are not even ponies, so it's even more difficult to achieve because, you know, most horses are just horses. Most aren't ponies. Nonetheless, though, in my... Isn't a pony like a baby horse? No, it's not, though, actually... Ponies are actually oh. a specific type of horse. I did not know that, dude. I didn't know that until like a couple months ago, and my mom told me because she grew up, you know, uh, some of her friends had horses and stuff. So, And we'll be back right after this. Paul, do you know what my first job was? No. I was a stable boy. You were a stable boy? I was a stable boy for my first job. (laughs) That's really interesting. Seriously? Yeah, man. It was cool. It was dope. I was like, I don't know, 16 or 17 or something. Um, And I heard that um, the school counselors helped somebody get a job. And since... I didn't know how to get a job, and today I barely know how to get a job. I just asked them, I was like, can you guys get me a job? And that's how, I, and, and they, I don't know, the guy knew the owner or something, got me a job. Um, and basically 90% of the time, just shoveling horse shit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was great, but sometimes I got to uh, throw hay bales around. Um. <laughs> Did you get bulky during that time? Like I, I was a very skinny kid, so I don't, I didn't, I definitely got stronger, uh, but not, not not bulky. No, it was like what two, three months of. Yeah, it was great. I got to work about my shirt off. Um, my hands, the gloves didn't protect me enough, and my hands would always smell like horse shit. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I bet all the uh, the sixteen year old and fifteen year old Canadian women were like, "Damn, we smelled that guy's hands." Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> Did anybody say like? Stable boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No People didn't get the chance. Not many people got the chance to see me working. Uh, it, like it was kind of like it was. It was actually it was in located in Stanley Park, which is like this giant ass park. It's way bigger than Central Park in New York City. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, and just for context, just for context, um, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> and if I'm wrong, please somebody tell me. But I'm 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 pretty sure I've heard that my entire life. But. Um, yeah, it's it's located like in the park, kind of like near behind some parking lots and stuff. It's beside the RCMP horse stable, uh, the Popo, or no, sorry, it's not RCMP. It was the VPD because uh, it's Vancouver Police. Um, so yeah, there was two horse stables right beside it. So not many people got to see me working, uh, but some did. And the one thing I remember about working with horses when people would sometimes watch and ask me questions was, are the black squirrels normal? What? That's what, what? People would ask. Did they think you're a wildlife biologist or something? Dude, I was a stable boy. I was one with the horse. So they're like, this guy's a wildlife biologist. I'm going to ask him questions. <laughs> basically, basically. Are black squirrels normal to you, Paul? No, because there are none here. <laughs> yes. Paul, there's not many places, so we have black squirrels. There are native squirrels. Uh, gray squirrels are super invasive. Uh, they're just bigger. They outcompete the uh, our native squirrels. Yeah, uh, we have black squirrels. They're very cute. Um, you you have like the gray squares squirrels, right? We don't here. We have just brown, only brown. Oh, okay, okay. I guess it's desert there. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I mean, also squirrel racism is real. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, the black ones are normal. <laughs> so that that was when working with horses, people asked me about squirrels. What was their like perspective or point of view? Like, did this did the do the black squirrels do weird shit or something? Nope, they're just they're just out and about. <laughs> they're just normal squirrels. <laughs> yeah, they're just normal squirrels. And people have just never seen one in the knife, and they're like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> that's interesting. That's really, in or did they think they were painted or something? I'm like, what was... Yeah, I know, like, what I'm like, no, what you're seeing is an optical illusion, sir. Uh, <laughs> you, need, you need to get down on your hands and knees to be at eye level with them, and then you'll see that they're actually rainbow colored. Uh, it's just the light deflecting from above makes them look black, so they ha blend into the environment better. Yeah, yeah. You're like, but be careful, though, if you get down there and you see that they're rainbow colored, you'll also see that their eyes are demon eyes and their eyes are black <laughs> instead. <laughs> Interesting. These are not Canadian tourists or they're Canadian tourists? Uh, they're not Canadian. But yeah, Paul. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's my cultural corner. <laughs> okay. Horses and black squirrels. Well, Norman. 
my cultural corner. I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to talk about a local thing because I, I haven't really talked about that. Okay, great. Let's uh, go. And you did last time with the Vancouver fireworks on Halloween thing. So Norman, the most important and big annual event in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is the B- International Balloon Fiesta. It's the largest uh, celebration of hot air balloons in the entire world. There are special oh. like local weather conditions and like the way the air, I don't know, it's ship. I, I haven't read enough about it or I forgot a million times ago, but uh, it makes Albuquerque a good spot for hot air ballooning. Uh, so there are normal shaped balloons, you know, hot air balloons. And there's also many special shaped ones here that go up every year. It's in uh, like mid-October or so. And those include the Creamland cow, which is literally like a gigantic white cow. And Dope. Yeah. And there's a literal, well, well, sorry. There's also a Darth Vader helmet and face-shaped balloon. Oh, dope. That's the one I want to be on, man. Yeah, dude. King of the world up there. But, uh, yeah, a giant floating castle that flies through the air. Yoda. Yoda's face and ears and, and ears and, and much more. There's, like, a bunch. And it, it's the thing, if you grew up in Albuquerque, everybody will know. You remember running around the Balloon Fiesta field. And it was the fucking best thing in the world as a kid because there's all the balloons and they're starting to take off from the, it's like a grass field and they're all starting to take off and fly above you. And you go run up to the uh, balloon pilots and they hand out cards with pictures of the balloon and like facts about the balloon and stuff like that. And you go collect like, you know, as many as you can and just watch them take off and there's also a really awesome nighttime celebration is it so wait hold up hold up hold up hold up all right so biggest uh balloon festival in the world and that's in and in albuquerque or like just outside of albuquerque kind of thing in albuquerque yeah dope yeah and like so where do they come like they obviously are in fields and stuff they're not like in downtown or something right no it's in like a pretty massive grass field Okay, okay, okay. That, that's yeah, too bad. So that would dope if they were coming out of, like, downtown or something. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. I mean, they do different stuff. Uh, around the time that they do the balloon festival, you know, fiesta, they also have balloons take off from, like, uh, local elementary schools' fields. Like, they'll oh, cool. have them so that kids can go in the morning before school and see that. You know, It's always an early in the morning, so, like, might start at like five in the morning you know because it's oh the right weather conditions and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the bo- the sun comes up the ground starts heating up and then all the that makes it a little bit easier for them to like get up and float in the air as well kind of thing well it's the cold it's the relatively cold air that you're a hot air balloon so it you know it makes the pressure system right between the the balloon and the cold air surrounding it uh right and then, I don't know, things like that. I don't understand the thermodynamics <laughs> of it quite. But yeah, so there's a really great nighttime celebration too, which is uh, the balloons don't take off, obviously, but they just stay on the ground, fixed to the ground, and they light up really bright. They 
burn off gas and it just makes the balloons fill up with air and get really bright and they're very colorful. They're every color imaginable. Every color imaginable? Yeah. Even spectrums that the human eyes can't see, Norman. Yeah, but they, you know, they have all kinds of colors. So you'll, it's really amazing. Actually, the nighttime celebration is, I, I like more personally now, at least as an adult. As a kid, I liked, obviously, the daytime the most, but... Oh, okay, yeah, so tell me a little bit as a kid. So, like, you guys would get up at, like, 5, 6 in the morning and go watch these balloons, like, from that field fly off? Yeah, yeah. You go to the field and run around, collect your cards from all the balloon pilots, and, uh, yeah, watch them all go up and sit there, relax, watch them all flying all around. And it's really cool, though, uh... Depending on which side, well, if you're on the north, northwest side of town, which is where I live, uh, all of the balloons come towards you. That's the way the air takes them. So where I live, a lot of the balloons land. They're at the end of their travel, and that's where they land is over here approximately. So you can see them flying above your house. You know, you might see 10 in one day like that if you're up in the morning and maybe you know, it's the weekend or you took a day off. And uh, so they might land in your yard. They might land near your yard. That's hilarious. Shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's so cool. Yeah. It's like winning the lottery and everyone's like, wow, I wish they landed in my yard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, it's literally at the like peak. And if the weather conditions are good enough, there might be, you know, a thousand of them in the air. That's nuts. Literally, yeah. It's pretty crazy. It is it is the biggest celebration of that type in the world. And um, it's definitely one of the most special things about New Mexico in terms of, like, events, for sure. Also, tell, tell, me, tell me more about, like, the nighttime and stuff and what makes... What, what changed your, uh, your attitude to liking the night more than the, the special day? I think the nighttime is just... Mm, it's just really visually amazing and also i don't know the emotion of it and also there's like a huge firework show and stuff so basically the way it goes you go walk under them right um and there's just row after row of like hundreds of balloons that they're just they call it the balloon glow because they mm -hmm. glow you know you you burn the fuel and they so they lift up just uh to stand up straight from the ground and they, you know, turn really bright, red, green, yellow, blue, whatever color the balloon is. And you walk underneath them and there's this hot air coming from, you know, burning all of that gas. So it's like warm and you're, but it's cold October air and you're like walking under just hundreds of them that are, you know, 200 feet above you or something. And you walk through and they're just amazed by like all the visuals. And then at the end of that, then they have a massive firework show as well, which I think is also uh, one of the bigger shows in the US. So uh, that's also like an amazing way to finish off that evening. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's an awesome event. Paul, when is this event? October. Ah, oh, so we just missed it. Yeah. Oh, so we have to hey, wait a whole year before we I can go. Yeah, yeah, you should come for sure. All right, let's go. October 2023, Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta. 
we go. Hell yeah, dude. Big celebration time. <laughs> that sounds awesome, dude. I want to I wanna do that. It's, uh, it's like, Paul, it's like, you know how you were telling me earlier that it sounded like when, when you're watching them during the day and it's so peaceful and relaxing, almost like they're sailing through the sky? almost yeah do you know do you know that feeling and everybody could have that feeling paul everybody could if we just broke down the bridges that cross our river here and we could all just ride a hot air balloon to work except unfortunately the air balloons would fly in the wrong direction because of the air currents (laughs) here but that's okay (laughs) they just take you into nature and you go fuck work who needs it i'm gonna sit out here and enjoy the bird song (laughs) <laughs> so yeah i i like it norman it's a good idea this is a fast track to socialism <laughs> the american public is gonna love this <laughs> you guys's understanding of socialism is fundamentally wrong <laughs> but that's okay <laughs> that's part of the satire yeah <laughs> you can't be american and understand capitalism socialism democracy republics or any of the above, like, no, no, not possible, not possible. I have a listener edict today, but I think oh, we shit. can save it for next time. Oh, really? We'll save it for next time, and because uh, I, I think I think we good. I think people will have enough to chew on this, this week from our weird ass. <laughs> I think so, dude. I really think so. <laughs> <laughs> You connected that in so smooth. I, it was so smooth, Norman, that I didn't even realize that it was, in fact, like the genuine cultural corner. I thought there was more.